Greetings to each one in Jesus' name. It's good to be here this morning. The title of the message is, Do I Need God? And if you listen to our prayer request, it seems like a well-duh thing. Do I need God? Why would you ask such a question? We all need God. This isn't even debatable, is it? Yet I've realized that people don't want to say the quiet part out loud. It has, it has been said that inside of everybody's heart, there's a God-sized hole that needs to be filled. A void that only he can fill. A need to worship, to place one's affections, a place to put one's trust or confidence. The reality is that we are in the process of shifting rapidly to a godless society. If you look at the world around us, we're shifting to a godless society. Man over the centuries has attempted to fill this hole uh, in their heart with many things apart from God. Uh, when you think, you know, anything that we place in that vacancy in our heart besides God has become a God to us. And man has attempted over the centuries to fill that void that he's feeling with things apart from God. To many, God is an inconvenience. And it hurts me to say these words, but the reality is many view God as one who gets in the way of what they would really like to do themselves. If you look in the world around us, they're going away from God because God is getting in the way of their pleasure. God is getting in the way of them making more money. God is getting in the way of them doing what their flesh wants to do. And so to, to those people, God has become an inconvenience. Some people have attempted to make a compromise. I believe there is a God. I just don't believe that he cares what I do. Have you heard that said? I've heard, I heard a guy tell me that. And, and he said, in relation to that, he said, I don't think God is standing over me with a big stick ready to whack me on the head if I do something wrong. And I agree with him in that aspect. Um, God is not standing over us with a big stick and he's gonna beat us down. That doesn't mean there won't be judgment. That doesn't mean there won't be consequences for going against his will in my life. To admit to the existence of God, one has to eventually accept that God has authority in my life. If the God that made the universe and all that I'm dwelling in and, and all the things that are around me, it gives him authority to say what he expects to be done. Heathens, even from the earliest times, have attempted to appease the gods, right? They, they do many different immoral and ungodly things to appease, appease the gods. Well, it's not raining, so let's make a sacrifice. And, and they did these different things to appease the gods. Uh, the story I thought of was the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And it, it's in, let's just turn there for a couple brief verses. First Kings 18. First Kings 18, starting at verse 26. And they took the bullock, which was given them, and they dressed it. And they called in the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. 
but there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is on a journey in pre-aventure. He sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets, till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass, when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any answer, nor any that regarded. This was a, a normal practice to cut themselves, to leap about, to do all these things was, was pretty normal, and yet there was no answer. Why? Because Baal wasn't an actual god. He was a, a lowercase g, something they were serving, something they were looking to for guidance, something that they were trying to get to fill that void in their life, but he wasn't real. You know, I don't think this is a new phenomena, but man has once again decided to serve themselves and be their own God. They've tried these other things, but they said, if you look at our society, they say, I'm just going to serve myself and I'm going to do what I want to do. At the same time, I, I wanted to praise God this morning for the decision of the high courts in overturning Roe versus Wade and that abortion has become illegal in many of the states. And yet, does that change anything for us as Christians? It was always against the Bible in our minds, but it is a blessing to, to see that outcome. And nothing says I've become my own God more than when the human race begins to kill off their offspring because of inconvenience and an unwanted result of immoral behavior. Nothing says that I want to do my own way. Who's the giver and taker of life? God. God is the giver and taker of life. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand, for I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. I've never been one to want to put words in God's mouth. So I might as well read directly what God says, right? And he says, I am God. There is none besides me. I give life, I take life. And yet people are trying to take the place of God. I wanted to establish from the beginning that there is one God. There is only one God. And there is no way to God but through Jesus Christ, his son. So there's one way to God, not Muhammad, not the Pope, no other way. You know, there's this thing, well, let's agree to disagree. On this subject, there's no agreeing to disagree. There is one God and one way to God. And yes, he is a jealous God. People don't like that. But the reality is God is jealous and he wants your honor. He wants your worship. He wants you to serve him. He demands that, actually. He is a jealous God. How many of you know that God's name is jealous? Have you ever read that in the Bible? It says, my name is jealous. Like, my name is Jehovah. My name is Lord. I, I was studying this, and I came across this uh, verse in Exodus 34, 14. 
For thou shalt worship. Turn to it, because maybe God is a jealous God. I, had a, I was talking to a guy, and he said, you know, my God's not jealous. Well, that's a problem, because that, that's not God. God is a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14. Sometimes you read verses and you're like, well, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Thirty-four, verse fourteen: For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Can we say that any plainer? <laughs> so that's 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 a hard point to argue. How often do we adjust our belief in God to fit our own narrative or agenda? Mankind has done that throughout the years. I read of a lady who quit serving God in the limited way that she was serving him because she was told by her pastor that God was a jealous God. And she said, I'm not going to serve a jealous God. Uh, how about in a marriage relationship? You know, men, you don't want your wife flirting with other men. And women, you don't want your husband flirting with other women. That, that's how my marriage is. Hope that's how your marriage is. It's, it's okay to be jealous over your wife. She is yours. You are hers. And so it's okay to have that jealousy. That's a proper form of jealousy. When we realize our need for God and accept his call in our life, it, it's a type of marriage relationship. It's a type of union. We become one with Christ, and he's jealous, and he doesn't want us flirting with the world. And I didn't make this message overly practical. You'll have to put, you'll have to put your own things in. But do you flirt with the world? Do you flirt with other women uh, besides, uh, in figurative manner, besides God? Does God know that you have his loyalty, or is your loyalty quite scattered? Some people say, well, God isn't going to do this or that. You know, whatever it is, are you sure? Does his word say that he'll do it? If his word says, this is what I'm going to do, we're not, we're not in a position to say, well, God's not going to do that. If he said it, he will do it. He will do it in his time. God does not lie. It is impossible for God to lie. But man, he gets up against a roadblock and he said, well, I just don't think that's how God really is. Well, what does his word say? If his word says that's how he is, that's how he really is. Turn with me to Mark 12. Mark 12, 28. And I think we just heard this in another sermon, and maybe he took it from a different angle. Mark 12, 28, and one of the scribes came, and having heard them reason together and perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all thine heart, and with all thine understanding, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto them, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst ask him any questions. There is one God, and he has high expectations for his creation. He has high expectations for you and I. Are we serving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength? That's a challenge. Are you giving God everything? Are you giving God all? Or are you holding some back? Psalm 100 verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. There is only one God, there is no other beside him. If this is the case, and it is, we have to establish what God expects from his creation. What does he expect from us? How do we know what he expects? Well, we have his word. Do you believe that the Bible is the divine word, inspired word of God? Do you believe that the Bible is what God expects us to do? We serve a God who is willing for a time to be rejected, denied, and turned from, but he's calling those people. So he's not a God that just strikes you down immediately when you reject him. How many people have rejected God and turned from God, and he's beckoning them back and saying, I want you back. I don't want you to take your own way. That's not the way you want to go. And God is merciful and long-suffering and saying, I want you to be my child. And, and people rejected him and hated him. And um, I, was, I was reading through Revelations, and there's, there was hailstones falling and lightnings and flashing, and those people were blaspheming God. You would think it would be the opposite. You would think, okay, I better straighten some things up if all this is happening, if it's raining. you know. But they're blaspheming God through this. We are a blessed people. We've been given the word of God. Each of us have multiple Bibles in our homes. And if you don't, let me know and I'll get you a couple more. Um, that there's access to Bibles here in America. There's, there's, we have access to God's word and we're going to be extremely accountable for the access that we have to the word of God. And whether we're filling our minds with it. Well, what about those people who weren't given a Bible? who weren't given the same opportunity as we were. What, how do they know about God? Is God calling those people as well? Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, starting at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God hath showed it them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. God has put something in our hearts that we desire to worship him. And even people that were not given the word of God, he's showed himself through his creation. He's revealed himself in other, in other forms, and they too will be held accountable. I read the passage um, in Acts when Paul was on Mars Hill, and he, he came upon this sign, and it said, to the unknown God. And he said, you know, you guys are all too superstitious. They, they wanted to cover all their bases. So they were worshiping any God they could think of. And if they couldn't think of a God, they had one sign says to the unknown God. And Paul said, I want to tell you about that God. I want to tell you about that God that you don't know. He's the one you should be worshiping. He's the creator of the universe. It says, neither is worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything. Seeth he giveth all life and breath in all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being and as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art or man's devices. In the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we, heard the, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. They believed in God. Do we need God? It's through him we have life. We have all things. It's, he is the essence of everything to us. Your belief in God is not what makes God real. Okay? So our belief in God is not what makes him real. It makes him real to us. But God is real whether we believe it or not. God's commands are real whether we believe them or not. So we could say, well, I just don't believe that command. That's a choice you can make, but it doesn't make the command unvalid. And this is where it really gets close to home. When our wants and desires run contrary to that of God... We get to what I call the crossroads, and when our way goes against God's way, we have a choice. What will we do? We get, I was trying to write it in a chart, and let's say for a time, 
we're going along beside God because God's ways are never going down. So we're going beside God, and then we decide we're going to take our own way, and it starts to cross what God would have with us. What choice do we make then? How many people, and maybe even professing Christians, and probably at times you and I, have chose to take our own way rather than God's way? Well, maybe it just happened once, but it, it just takes that small start, that one time, and we decide, we get comfortable with that. And I've, I've taken my own way, I've done my own thing, it feels good, and God hasn't hit me over the head, why couldn't I do it again? And so we, we start living in this false sense of security and saying, well, do I, do I really need God that much? This person over here is blessed. He's a godless man. He's living fine. He doesn't, he, you know, and the psalmist even said this. He, he, was, he was blessed and he, he, everything, well, maybe it was Job. He's like, why is this guy having everything going good for him? I'm serving God faithfully, and this guy's having everything go good. But he realized the end. How many times have we tried God? Now, there's two uh, senses of the word tried. In one sense of the word, people try God. Well, you know, it looks like Claire's blessed by serving God, so I'm going to give God a try. You know, that, that's a form of trying God. I'm, I'm going to try it out, see how it goes for me. If this is the premise on which a person turns to God, it often doesn't last long. If we're just going to give God a try, that's about all it will be. And I had to think of marriage in the United States. Well, I want a companion, so I'm going to give marriage a try. How long is that marriage going to last? The average marriage in America lasts eight years, and a long marriage in America is 14. Is that how long you want your relationship with God to last? Well, maybe eight years, maybe 14. And people are approaching their relationship with God with the same level of commitment. And when things go really good, they turn from God. Does that make any sense? So things are going really good, and they're being blessed, and they're prospering, and all of a sudden, well, I don't need God anymore. <laughs> things are going good. And then things go really bad. And for a time, they might trust God, and then they say, well, God, you know, things are going bad in my life. Where were you? And they turn from God. There's a commitment to God. God is overall, and he, he wants to be with us in the good times. He wants to be with us in the bad times. He wants us to serve him all the time. And it's a commitment. And it's, it should be an easy commitment. You know, some, I was trying to find my place in my notes here. So many people are looking for the benefits of following God. So they, I want to follow God and I want all these benefits. And they don't think as much about, I want to faithfully serve God. I want to, I want to do what I can do for God. And it's not a whole lot because God is not a needy God. Um, he has all things. He has a desire. I think it brings him glory when we serve him. I know it brings him glory. The other sense of the word to try 
may be better put, to test or to tempt. How many times do we test or tempt God? And I had to think of the children of Israel, and I like to think we're vastly different than the children of Israel. Well, we don't murmur or complain or grumble, or do we? In Psalm 95, you can turn there. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalm. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is also his. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his, his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and I said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Parents, how many of you enjoy when your children are whining? <laughs> well, Daddy, I don't like green beans. I don't want to eat this. I don't like this kind of salad dressing. I don't want to wear that shirt. My shoes are whatever, you know, and on, the list could go on and on. And, and as parents, we don't like whining. But do you think our God enjoys us whining? I think too often God looks down at us and said, well, he, no, he doesn't say this. But in my mind, they're just a bunch of whiny brats. And they need, you know, I don't think God thinks that about us. Uh, he's a lot more loving and patient than I am. And so I don't want to ascribe anything to God that... But, I have to picture myself as sometimes a very whiny adult. And we say, well, it's too hot. It's too cold. I needed this, and I didn't. And, and we maybe don't say it out loud, but what are the thoughts of our hearts? Are we a contented people? But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we have brought nothing into this world, and as certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. You, you know, we don't realize what we have until it gets taken away from us. Once start, stuff would start getting taken away from us, we'd realize how blessed a people we really were. Are we content? Are we a people that have the ability to wait upon the Lord? Waiting upon the Lord is a lot easier said than done. And if you think we're content people, listen to the honest ones in our midst, the children. <laughs> How many times have you heard your child say, I want, in, in relation to something they didn't need? How many times do you hear your children say, well, I want this? Well, Daddy, I really want this. <laughs> okay. Well, how many times does Daddy say, someday I'm going to get? Uh, I'm guilty of that. Someday I'm going to get this. And so the child's listening to daddy. And are we raising contented 
children. I have to wonder sometimes. I think I've failed in this area where my children have too much and I'm not raising a contented child. And maybe it's because daddy's not content. Are we a content people? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Do we believe God's word? Are we any different than the children of Israel? Or do we tempt God? God is not a respecter of persons, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. He gives life and breath to the undeserving and often rebellious people. But this, however, does not take away the fact that one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I had to think, we love him because he first loved us and he gave us his son. And then he understands us because he created us. Psalm 103, if you turn over a couple pages. Psalm 103, starting at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy, but he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath dealt with us after our sin. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. For as the as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembereth that we are dust. What a wonderful God. <laughs> he wants us to turn to him. He wants us to trust in him. But yet he, he remembers that we are but dust. And he knows our frame. And he knows what we can handle. And he is a merciful God. How often do you like the chastening of the Lord? Often we don't like when God corrects us, when things come in our life to turn us back to him, and, and we buck against it at times. But the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and correcteth every son in whom he delighteth. But he's gentle at the same time. Lamentations 3.22, It is the Lord's... It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's wonderful to serve a faithful God. He's always there. He's stable. And even though hard things come in our life, he will be with us through them. He, he doesn't always take everything away, all the hardship. He lets us go through them. And some of that's a lot of refining. And I will say, anyone who has not experienced a better life serving God was probably not serving God. It will be a better life. It's the best option. All too often, there's an area of our life we don't want to submit to the Lordship of Christ, and that's where discouragement, sadness, these things come from. If we submit wholeheartedly to the Lordship of Christ and give our lives completely to him, he'll be with us in the good times and the bad times. And often, it's a small area of life that God wants us to give up. And it's that small area of life we want to hang on to. We're like, well, it's not that significant. Well, how often has it been when God blessed you in an insignificant way? in the grand scope of things. So you were having trouble paying your bills and then someone from three years ago writes you a check that you didn't even expect to come 
And you say, thank you, Lord. You know, you cared about that little area of my life. But then when God says, well, I want you to get rid of that little area, do you thank him for that? He said, well, I want you to get rid of that little area of your life that you're hanging on to. And he, he revealed it to you. And he said, you know, this is something that's getting between me and you. Do we feel as much gratitude towards that as we do that he answered the prayer and, and supplied our needs that one day? Is God more concerned about our happiness or our holiness? And I would care to say our holiness. The less God is much more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. But at the same time, God wants us to be a happy people. He wants us to be a, a people that have joy in their hearts. And I read a quote the other day. There's a great Western disease. And I thought if COVID came from China, this one has been predominantly in the United States. I will be happy when, dot, dot, dot. I will be happy when. I will be happy when I get my new home. I will be happy when I get my new job. I will be happy when I get my new boat, when I get another dollar, when I get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You know, I'll be happy when. And what happens when you get that? And that's what your happiness was based on. Well, then you need something else because that old, that new thing then becomes an old thing. And especially possessions, uh, now marriage gets better with time, but I've noticed in at least my vehicles, they don't get better with time. <laughs> there, there, there's a downhill, the, the fender panels, they start to rot out, the engine gets weaker, all these things, over time, there's a declining. And so if my happiness is based on my possessions, then I have to continually update my possessions, right? And so if possessions made us happy, I saw a lot of happy people the other day. Uh, Glenn Store had lines of Corvettes, you know, all makes and models, just wonderfully happy people. Or not. Job 5.17, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth, that's interesting. Therefore, despise not the chastening of the Almighty. True happiness cannot be bought. It does not lie in things, but it comes from a heart that is settled and at peace with the God who created it. That's where true happiness lies. And even at that, happiness is a feeling that can come and go. So there will be times of sorrow. There will be times of tragedy. There will be times of loss of life. And there's nothing wrong with grief. There's nothing wrong with sorrow. It's a reality. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that God has suddenly removed his hand from us or is a long ways from us. These are emotions. That's why our faith in God is not based on an emotional experience. It's based on a firm commitment to God that he'll be with us through all things. So do I need God? Yes, I do. Every hour. <laughs> oh, I need thee. Isaiah 43.10, Ye are my witness, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be any after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. He is our salvation. He is our deliverer. He is our life. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. And he, is, he alone is worthy of our worship. May God bless you.